morning, church. This morning's scripture will be from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I was reflecting this morning on the fact that a year ago I was preaching to you from my living room and it's so much better to be in here. And uh, I know it's been uh, more than a year since we started doing that at-home worship for a period of time, but this morning I was just reminded how wonderful it is together as a body and to be in one another's presence, to praise God in song together and to just enjoy the fellowship of one another. So don't neglect that this day. Back in 2018, I took Micah to a local indoor playground for a few hours to let her play. And while we were there, uh, a man whose daughter began playing with Micah struck up a conversation with me. Now, we, we only conversed for a half hour or so, and it was your normal, typical, everyday conversation, asking each other about our background, our information, where we're from, what we do. Throughout the course of the conversation, I found out that he used to be a professional baseball player. And I didn't recognize him. He wasn't a face familiar to, familiar to me, so I asked him, I, I, I asked him uh, you know, what teams he played for, um, and he listed off a number of teams. I, I asked him, did he ever make it to the World Series? And in fact, he had with one of those teams. That conversation went on for a while. I didn't uh, uh, focus too much on his professional baseball career. Just got tidbits here or there. Never got his name. Never asked him for his name. I don't know that I even gave him mine. But I went home later that day, and I thought, well, I'm going to use what information I have about him and find out who it was. And so I got on Wikipedia and did my research. Uh, I started scouring information about players who played on various teams and, and so on. And uh, it wasn't until a little while later that I realized the guy I was talking to was Jeff Francoeur. Now, several of you know who Jeff Francoeur is because you live in Gwinnett County and you've lived here a long time. I, on the other hand, was not from this area, so I did not recognize him. And I can't help but believe that maybe he enjoyed the fact that I didn't know who he was. Now, you may not know who Jeff Francoeur is. There are some of you who didn't grow up here and may not know who he is. He's a local hero, particularly in Lilburn. Jeff Francoeur became an Atlanta Brave back in the early 2000s as part of the Baby Braves. But what made him so fascinating is the start of his career that first season. In fact, Sports Illustrated dubbed him the natural that year because he was so proficient as a batter. He ended up winning a gold glove, and I think, in 2007. He had an amazing start to his career. But here I am sitting across from this guy who's a local hero, both, both in Gwinnett County and, the, and, and as, a, as an Atlanta Brave, and I have no idea who he is. Didn't recognize him for one instance. 
morning we're gathered here on the Sunday that is typically associated with the resurrection of Jesus. And the reason this Sunday is typically associated with the resurrection is because it's the first Sunday that follows the Jewish Passover. Now that's not technically true this year. The Jewish Passover was two Saturdays ago, but I don't know how they calculate it now. But traditionally, the, the Sunday, unfortunately dubbed Easter, is the Sunday that follows the Jewish Passover, and for that reason is typically associated with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as a congregation, we don't usually place any more emphasis on this day than any other first day of the week. Because we gather on the first day of the week to commemorate the Lord's death and the partaking of the Lord's Supper. We gather on the first day of every week to acknowledge and honor and recognize the resurrection of our Lord. That's why we gather on the first day of the week. But since it is a Sunday that there are people that have the resurrection more on their conscience than other times, I decided I wanted to turn our attention to the resurrection this morning. In fact, I want us to look at four appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Four appearances of Jesus in which those who witnessed him did not recognize him, just as I did not recognize Jeff Francoeur. I want us to consider what we can learn today from those appearances of Jesus following his resurrection. The first story I want to take you to appears in John chapter 20. It's Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene, to just Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene doesn't get a lot of attention as a disciple, but she was as faithful as, of a follower of Jesus as any of the apostles or other men that followed Jesus. She became a follower very early in the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 tells us that Jesus cast seven demons out of her, and from that point forward she followed him. You don't hear much about her during Jesus' ministry, but she is prominent in the final events of the Gospels. She's one of only five people, including Jesus' mother and the Apostle John, who are specifically said to have been present at the crucifixion. She's one of only four people, including Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were present at the burial of Jesus. And she's one of only three women who are identified as the first discoverers of the empty tomb that Sunday when they went to anoint the body of Jesus at dawn. According to John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, after she and the women who were with her went to anoint Jesus' body and they found that empty tomb, they went back and told the apostles. Next thing you know, Peter and John are racing to the tomb to see it for themselves. And so here you've got these three women, and you've got Peter, and you've got John all gathered at an empty tomb, seeing it with their own eyes, what ends up happening is everybody goes home, except for Mary Magdalene. She refuses to leave the tomb that day. 
She's so distraught over the missing body of Jesus that she diligently remained by its last known location. And Luke chapter 24, I actually gave you all John chapter 20. I gave you the wrong chapter. It's Luke 24. Luke 24 and verse 11 says that she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. Mary Magdalene is devastated because she believes the powers that be have stolen the body of Jesus and thereby have prevented her from demonstrating her love for Jesus by anointing his dead body with spices and ointments. And it's in this moment of emotional turmoil that Jesus appears to her. During her distraughtness, Jesus shows up. And it's fascinating to me because this is Jesus' first recorded appearance after his resurrection. Think about that for a moment. Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection wasn't to the apostles. It wasn't to his mother. It was to Mary Magdalene. It was to this woman who was so devoted to him that she was there when he hung on the cross. It was to this woman who was so devoted to him that she was there when his body was put in the tomb. It's to this woman who was so devoted to him that when his body was missing from the tomb, she kept vigil outside that tomb. That's the person Jesus first appears to. And here's what's fascinating to me. Mary Magdalene did not know it was Jesus that appeared to her. I've got you bouncing all around the Gospels because I've got an error in my notes. John 20 was correct. And I want you to know I know that. Because I saw you looking in your Bibles and you stayed down longer than normal, so I knew something was up. John 20 and verse 15 tells us, she didn't know it was Jesus. She thought it was the caretaker of the garden in which he was buried. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Mary Magdalene is this, this woman who's so devoted to Jesus that she was present for that whole week, and she was there at the cross, she was there at the tomb. She was there during every stage of this phenomenal weekend. You would think that if anyone would be able to recognize Jesus, it would be a disciple that, that is that devoted to him. I mean, Mary Magdalene's already been told by angels that Jesus was alive, but she couldn't wrap her mind around that fact. She was so caught up in her emotional turmoil, so caught up in this painful experience of Jesus' body going missing, that she can't make the connection between what the angels have told her and what Jesus had taught her before his death. And so she's looking directly at Jesus. She's talking with Jesus, but she doesn't realize it's Jesus until he says her name in John chapter 20 and verse 16. Why did Mary Magdalene fail to recognize Jesus? Think about that. 
Why could she not look him in the face and know that it's Jesus? I think the problem for Mary Magdalene was that she was so focused on what she was going through that she wasn't able to focus on Jesus. I think she was so caught up in her own personal pain, her own turmoil, her own emotions, that she was oblivious to Jesus. I want you to think right now. Could it be that you are just like Mary Magdalene today? Could it be that you're so caught up in your personal problems that you've pushed Jesus to the periphery? The point of this sermon today is to remind you not to be oblivious to Jesus. Don't get so self-focused that you forget to be focused on Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's the call. And it might be today that you've gotten so attentive to your own issues that you've forgotten to keep your eyes on Jesus. Mary Magdalene's not the only one who failed to recognize Jesus following His resurrection. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Jesus appears to a couple of disciples here in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. After that empty tomb was discovered, uh, news kind of spread among the disciples that Jesus wasn't in the grave. And Luke informs us in Luke 24, verse 13, that two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, and it was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. We know that one of these disciples was named Cleopas. His name is mentioned in verse 18, but we're not given the identity of the other one. In fact, Cleopas, this is the only reference to Cleopas in the entire New Testament. So these two disciples are unknown to us, but they are well known to the apostles. When you get to the end of the story, around verse 33, you you learn that these two guys are going to return to Jerusalem. And they're going to find the apostles, the eleven, as they are identified in that text. That means that these two guys know who the apostles are and are familiar enough to the apostles that they're allowed into that room where they were meeting, despite the fact that over in John 20, we're informed that the door was kept locked because the apostles were afraid of what the Jews might do to them that weekend. So these two disciples, we don't know them. They're unknown to us, but well-known to the apostles. Not only that, there's another interesting detail that comes out in this story as they As they interact with Jesus, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but as they interact with Jesus, they sit down to dinner with him. They sit down for a meal with him. They sit down to eat. They've been walking with him, but they don't recognize him. And it's while they're eating that Jesus takes bread, breaks it, blesses it, gives it to them. And in that moment, all of a sudden, the light bulbs bulbs go off, and they recognize Jesus. The language used there in reference to Jesus blessing and breaking and giving the bread is the same terminology used back in chapter 22 
when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And that seems to indicate to us that these two disciples would have been present that night for the institution of the Lord's Supper when they observed that last Passover meal with Jesus because it's in this moment of Jesus repeating the action of the Lord's Supper that suddenly they recognize him. Suddenly it makes sense to them. Suddenly they, they get it. So these are two disciples who are connected to Jesus. They're not just guys on the fringe of the group who pop in and out on Easter Sunday only. These are guys who have been following Jesus. These are guys who are known by the apostles. These are guys who likely were present when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And as these two disciples are traveling to Emmaus, they're joined by Jesus, but like Mary Magdalene, they don't recognize him. Luke 24, verse 16 specifically says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't know if that means that some external force kept them from seeing him, if Jesus himself is preventing them from seeing him, or if an internal force of their own creation is keeping them from seeing him. But some way or another, they don't recognize this guy that started walking with them. They don't realize that it's Jesus. And Jesus walked with these guys for up to seven miles. We don't know at what point he joined them in the journey. We don't know how far in they were on that journey. But it could have been up to seven miles. And they never realized it was him. And I want you to notice what they were doing when Jesus joined them. Look at chapter 24, verse 14 of Luke. It tells us they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. In other words, they were discussing the events that unfolded that weekend in conjunction conjunction with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They were talking about Jesus when Jesus showed up. Now, if anybody's going to recognize Jesus, it should be a couple of guys who had been following him, who likely were present when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and who at the moment were talking about him. Shouldn't that have been the perfect opportunity for somebody to recognize Jesus? No other circumstance should produce an easier recognition of Jesus than that right there. But they can't see him. They don't realize it's him. Why? Why did these two disciples fail to recognize Jesus? Maybe the problem for them was that they were so focused on what was going on around them that they failed to focus on Jesus. Maybe they got so caught up in the news, so caught up in current events, so caught up in discussing and theorizing about what's happening that they were oblivious to Jesus. Could it be right now that you're just like these two disciples? You're so caught up in what's going on in the world around you that you're not paying attention to Jesus. Could it be that you're so focused on what's happening in the news cycle? What's going on in society? What's happening in our country or in the world that you've forgotten to give Jesus your undivided attention. If there's ever been a time in history 
that it's so easy for us to get caught up in the world. It's now. Maybe, just maybe, you're struggling like these guys to keep your eyes on Jesus because your eyes keep focusing on what's going on around us. Don't get so caught up in what's going on around us that you fail to give Jesus your attention. Give him your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Give him your all. I'm not saying we don't need to be concerned about what's happening around us. I'm not saying we don't need to be involved in what's happening around us. I'm not saying we need to ignore what's happening around us. What I'm saying is that Jesus deserves first place. Always. In every situation. That's why the greatest command says what it says. Because if Jesus is in first place, everything else takes a backseat. If you continue journeying through the events of the resurrection, particularly here in Luke chapter 24, you'll see that Jesus appeared to his apostles next. In Jerusalem, in a room. It's his last appearance on Resurrection Sunday. All the disciples had gathered for the weekend in this one room. They were discussing the experience of the empty tomb that the woman found that morning. They were also discussing the report of these two disciples who hurried back from Emmaus to tell everybody that they had just walked with Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 We're told that Jesus stood among them and said, peace to you. Now this time the text doesn't specifically say that they didn't recognize Jesus. Instead, the text indicates in Luke chapter 24, verse 37, that they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. The implication is that they did not immediately know it was Jesus standing in their presence, and their fear overtook them. You have to remember that their fears were at an all-time high right now. John chapter 20 and verse 19 tells us that they were gathered in this space with the doors locked because they were afraid of what the Jews might do to them. They're acting just like Peter did when he was standing by that fire outside the trial of Jesus, and every time somebody said, are you one of his disciples, he denied it. Do you know why? Because he was afraid of what they would do. That's what, with the feeling that these disciples collectively are having right now. They're afraid of what might happen to them because they're associated with Jesus. So their fears are in all time high. And then suddenly Jesus shows up. And it shakes them to their core. They think he's a ghost. And it's fascinating to read through this account. Because Jesus had to interrupt their state of frozenness by inviting them to examine his wounds just so that they could come to the point of recognizing him. He had to physically show them the scars. He had to allow them to touch those scars just so they could recognize him in the moment. 
He even had to take some food and eat it to prove to them that he wasn't a ghost. If anybody, if anybody should have recognized Jesus, shouldn't it have been this group? This is the group that is made up of the apostles. These are the people who were on that boat when a storm came up. And they watched Jesus come out from beneath the deck and stop a storm and then tell them to not be afraid. These are the guys who have heard all day reports of Jesus appearing to people. They, sh- they knew in advance. These are the guys that should have recognized Jesus. They watched him bring Lazarus back to life. So they should have been prepared for this. Why then did the the apostles fail to recognize Jesus? I think the problem for them was that they were so focused on what they were afraid of that they had closed their eyes to Jesus. I think they were so overwhelmed by their worries, so concerned about the things they couldn't control, so focused on their fears that they were oblivious to Jesus. I think you know where I'm going with this by now. Could it be that today you're just like these apostles? You're so focused on the things that scare you You're so attentive to your worries and your concerns and your fears. You're so stressed out that you're unable to see how Jesus is working in your life today. Could it be that your fears are driving you rather than your faith? The point of this sermon today is to remind you to not be oblivious to Jesus. Don't let your fears control your life. Walk by faith and not by sight. And you do that by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Don't be oblivious to Jesus because of your fears. And there's one last resurrection appearance that I want to talk about today. This one is over in John 21, and I am certain of that. This one didn't happen on the same day as the other events. This happened sometime later. And it happened on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. It involved no less than seven of Jesus' disciples, five of which were apostles for sure. But the focus of this appearance is Peter. In John chapter 21 and verse 3, we learn that Peter decided he wanted to go fishing. And he was accompanied by James and John, the sons of Zebedee, as well as Thomas and Nathaniel, and two unnamed disciples. But Peter is the instigator of this fishing trip. And that's worth mentioning since his occupation prior to becoming a full-time disciple was fishing. Jesus called Peter out of a life of fishing for fish and into a life of fishing for men back in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. 
So at this moment, it's, it's almost like Peter is returning to his old life. It's almost like he didn't have anything else to do. So why not return to fishing? And the problem is, now that Jesus had risen from the dead and Peter had seen him, that means it wasn't time to be fishing for fish anymore. It was time to focus on fishing for men. But while these guys were out in the boat fishing, Jesus appeared on the shoreline. And once again, we have a situation where he is unrecognizable to this group of disciples. Now, to be fair, maybe the distance to the shoreline kept them from being able to recognize him. But Jesus is going to speak. Shouldn't they have at least caught his voice? The text says in John chapter 21 and verse 5 that the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus says to them, do you have any fish? And they still don't recognize him. This is fascinating to me because at this point, Jesus had appeared to all of the disciples at least twice. Once on Resurrection Sunday that we read about a moment ago. And then once a week later when Thomas was present with that same group of disciples. And Jesus appeared a second time so that Thomas's doubts would be alleviated. You can read about that one in John 20, verses 24 through 29. So everyone on that boat had seen Jesus at least twice, and there's an indication that Peter had a third appearance of Jesus that's unrecorded in Scripture. Those guys who were traveling on the road to Emmaus, they allude to the fact that Jesus had appeared to Simon in Luke chapter 24 and verse 34. And Paul alludes to the fact that Jesus appeared to Peter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 5. So it seems that of that group, everyone had seen Jesus twice. Peter may have seen him three times. So by this point, they should be used to Jesus showing up. They've seen the resurrected Lord. They've heard the resurrected Lord. They've touched the resurrected Lord. You would think that if anyone would be able to recognize Jesus, it would be them by this point, especially Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who was one of the two apostles who saw the empty tomb with his own eyes, and who was this individual who had seen the risen Lord at least three times, according to Scripture. But he did not know that it was Jesus. It wasn't until Jesus instructed them to cast the net on the right side of the boat and a great haul of fish ensued. It wasn't until then that somebody recognized Jesus and that somebody wasn't Peter. That somebody was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one who in chapter 21, verse 7 of John said, It's the Lord! Peter reacted, but Peter's not the one who figured it out. It took a repeat performance of the very same miracle Jesus did the day he recruited Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. It took a repeat performance of that miraculous catch of fish from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, for John to say, hey, it's Jesus, and for Peter to react. Why did Peter fail to recognize Jesus? I think the problem for Peter was that he was so focused on what he was doing that he overlooked Jesus. I think he got so caught up in his work, so caught up in the activity that he was engaged in, so caught up with staying busy that he was oblivious to Jesus. 
Could it be right now that you're just like Peter? You're so caught up in what you're doing that you've forgotten to fix your eyes on Jesus. You're so busy with everything life throws at you that you've overlooked Jesus. That your activity is interfering with your ability to see Jesus. Don't get so caught up in what you're doing that you forget about Jesus. Be still and know that He is God. Because the point of this sermon is to remind you not to be oblivious to Jesus. See, these stories serve as a reminder that even anyone, even a faithful follower of Christ, can be oblivious to Jesus. Such blindness may be the result of focusing too much on ourselves or focusing too much on the world or focusing too much on our fears or focusing too much on our work. But today, as we gather here, as we assemble and remember Christ's crucifixion by partaking of the Lord's Supper, and we celebrate His resurrection by gathering on the first day of the week, Let's not forget to focus on Him. Today, let's heed the instruction that's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which says, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today we look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on him because we don't want to ever be guilty of failing to recognize the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because our recognition of Jesus as the risen Son of God affects our salvation. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This morning, we take a moment to examine the resurrection of Jesus to be reminded of how easy it is for us to lose focus of what he's done for us. Today we're reminded that we're quite capable of being oblivious to Jesus. And today we're challenged to not let that happen anymore. We turn our attention to Jesus today because he fixed his eyes on us some 2,000 years ago. He focused on us through his willingness to come to this earth, to humble himself, and to die for us. He was so fixated on you and me that he was willing to endure the cross for us. And he's so fixated on you and me right now that he's preparing a place for us because he's not in that tomb anymore. He's seated next to God on his throne in heaven. Today we issue the invitation 
we issue the invitation that Jesus himself invites us to, to become his follower. Maybe you've never acknowledged that Jesus is the risen Son of God. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. Maybe you've never been immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Right now, that invitation is yours to do so that your sins can be washed away and you can reserve a place in heaven for all eternity. It may be that you've made that decision, but you've wandered off the path, so to speak. Maybe you've lost your focus in life. And maybe what you need today is to reframe Christ as your focus. Whatever your need is this morning, we offer the invitation for you to make things right. For you to put Christ in his proper place in your life. If you have any need to respond to the invitation this morning, then we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.